On November 9th, join us for Benzinga's 7th Annual FinTech Awards. It's going to be a day full of networking, deal-making, and recognition of incredible achievements you won't want to miss. What's going on, traders? How we doing? Welcome to it right here on the SPACs Attack. We got another great show for you guys. We're going to get into an interview with what a biotech company. You guys know how these like to run when they get their move. We'll definitely go all into it. And then, of course, the watch list is moving. Everything is all about infrastructure right now. Let's learn all about it right here on the SPACs Attack. What's going on, traders? How we doing out there? Guess what? No more Darth Mitch. Yes, I got a new audio interface. I'm ready to go. Thank you, my man Rohan, if you're watching. Let's give a thumbs up. Let's go ahead and bring on the brain to the show. His name is Chris Ketchy, but of course, you should know him as Chrisopedia. What's going on, Mitch? Hope you had a good weekend. It's Monday. It's great to be back. And I mean, what a day to be back, right? The, the market is moving. We're seeing SPACs move. That big infrastructure bill that you and I have been talking about for so many weeks, um, what that means for EV plays. So uh, an exciting Monday indeed. That it is. It's definitely exciting. And it's always exciting when we got Chrisopedia because he brings us the facts, brings us the news, the catalyst, and always keeps us up with the news. And if you guys were here last week, we even were looking at, I mean, we've been talking about how this could really move infrastructure. A whole bunch of these SPACs could end up moving because of that. I know we'll get into it, but like always, we got some headlines to get into first. You guys in the chat, hit the like. Let's go ahead and take us back, Chris. Fill us in. What's going on in the SPAC industry right now? All right. Yeah, an exciting Monday. A lot of headlines out there to get into today. We'll start with some analyst notes. So up first, we have Royvent Sciences, R-O-I-V, H.C. Wainwright initiating coverage with a buy rating and a price target of $14, um, one to keep on watch. Then DraftKings, DKNG, Oppenheimer maintaining an outperform on DraftKings, lowering the price target to $70. DraftKings did have earnings last week. Shares were down. Um, I think we have some other analyst notes as well. I will have an article up on Benzinga.com later today talking all about those analyst notes. So if you're interested in DraftKings, look forward to that article later. Then we have DMYQ Benchmark initiating coverage on DMY Technology Group with a buy rating and a price target of $17. This is a pre-despect uh, company merging with planet so nice to see the initiation here and that price target of 17 dollars ahead of the vote and then money lion ml craig hallam initiating coverage on money lion with a buy rating and a 10 dollars price target um so keep an eye out on money lion i mean five dollars 90 cents does have earnings this week but this one has fallen since that spac merger went through um we'll see if earnings and this analyst note can uh breathe some new life into the name. And then turning to news, we have ELMS, Electric Last Mile Solutions, plans to launch the urban utility vehicle after the ELMS board approved production. Um, so that's, you know, always something to keep in mind. This is Intelligent Mobility Solutions for Commercial Vehicle 
customers. Uh, class three commercial electric vehicle targeting over 5,700 pounds of max payload and more than 11,000 pounds gross vehicle weight rating, 125 miles of range. So again, ELMS electric last mile. We have Origin Materials, O-R-G-N, announcing a strategic partnership with Colon to industrialize advanced carbon negative chemicals and materials. So Origin is the leading carbon negative materials company with a mission to enable the world's transition to sustainable materials. Um, again, announcing that partnership with Colon for select applications with an initial focus on the automotive industry. Um, so one to keep in mind there, Origin, O-R-G-N. Then recent DSPAC, Lottery.com, that's ticker L-T-R-Y, uh, been a favorite um, you know, of mine and that we've talked about on the show. They announced today uh, the development of a blockchain gaming platform. So that platform is intended to increase security and transparency of lotteries and other gaming verticals. It will also improve the ability for players to participate in crypto or fiat currencies with the ultimate goal of creating proprietary international lotteries. Lottery.com saying they are in discussion with leading blockchain providers to partner on the multi-year development of the platform. So once this is fully developed, the company plans to leverage Project Nexus to introduce multiple proprietary lottery games for players outside the U.S. This could be a big deal um, for Lottery.com, that Project Nexus now getting into blockchain, also possibly getting into crypto payments. So keep an eye out, Lottery.com. Um, shares were moving earlier today. They are now down 3%. Again, this recently despacked. Um, so it's got a lot of interest out there right now. Then turning to our SPAC deals, we had two deals announced this morning. Up first, we have ticker BIOT merging with Blade Therapeutics, a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing cutting-edge treatments for uh, debilitating fibrotic and neurodegenerative diseases, a $353 million valuation. Pipe on this spec includes Pfizer, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and several others. Net proceeds expected to support clinical development of their pipeline of oral small molecule investigational therapies with disease-modifying potential. Um, they do have their lead drug entering uh, planned phase one clinical study in the first half of 2022, again, BIOT. And then our other deal, DSAC, announcing a merger with Fiscal Note, which is the number one most trusted partner for managing the global issues and policy affairs that present the biggest risk and opportunities to your organizations, according to their Twitter profile. This is artificial intelligence-driven enterprise SaaS business that delivers legal and regulatory data and insights, $1.19 billion enterprise value. So they said that they have over 3,000 global subscription customers, including nearly half of the Fortune 100. Existing shareholders in Fiscal Note include Mark Cuban, Jerry Yang, Steve Case, um, the Winklevoss Capital, and the S&P Global. 
Um, so a nice mix of investors there. Um, they said that, again, so 3,000 subscription customers. They did name some uh, in their filing, including uh, 3M, FedEx, Microsoft, Lyft, Peloton, Tesla, Uber, Zillow, the White House, U.S. Congress, U.S. Supreme Court, the Department of Defense, the CDC, and the Federal Reserve. So we're talking some big hitters here. They said that they have a total addressable market of $37 billion and revenue expected to hit $108 million in 2021, up 66%. Again, fiscal note going public, the ticker DSAC. And then turning to our calendar, we did get a couple votes set and some mergers last week. DMYQ merging with Planet, which had that nice analyst note today, setting their merger vote of December 3rd. Big Bear going public, GIG, the ticker, setting their vote uh, December 3rd. Altus Power, CBAH, setting their merger vote date uh, December 6th. And then two notable deals last week. We have MOTN closing their deal. We'll trade as DCGO this week for .go. And KVSB merging with Nextdoor. We'll trade as ticker KIND later this week. That's what I've got for headlines. And those two deals this morning, Mitch, um, you know, again, that, that fiscal note one, DSAC, haven't had a chance to read through the whole presentation, but a nice list of customers and a nice list of investors there. All right, jumping in here. And definitely, you guys smash the like. If you guys like getting those headlines from my man, Chrisopedia, every single day, he definitely fills us in on what's going on out there. And there's some movement out there, that's for sure. Um, we'll get into that. It uh, looks like we do get our guests here already, Chris. So what I'm going to do is, instead of going stocks and then interview then stocks right back let's go ahead and knock out the interview we're going to go right into it and then we'll go back into the infrastructure stocks i know that some of these have already made some runs so going over it right now we just kind of see some of the fomo action but we will talk about that after the interview and we will let you guys know on what kind of plays are out there i even took some myself i'll tell you guys all about it but definitely smash the like and let's go ahead let's get into our interview up next we got a great interview guys we're going to be going into ticker kvsa um so i'm gonna let chris lead on this one and go ahead chris take it over all right, guys. Yeah, super excited. Interview today. Joining us on SPACs Attack, we have David Barry, the founder and CEO of Valo Health, company merging with Coastal Ventures Acquisition, ticker KVSA. David, welcome to SPACs Attack. Chris, thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, David, we're so excited to have you on the show. One of the first questions we always like to start with here on SPACs Attack is, why the decision to go public via SPAC for Valo Health? And was a traditional IPO also considered by your company? Chris, it's a great question. Um, we did think about the opportunities of going public by a standard IPO as well as that with a SPAC. And in the framework that we're in, going public through a normal course IPO is, of course, the normal course thing that we would do. But what we saw in the context of KVSA was an opportunity to create a true partnership and one that would bring forth more durable value for the company. And I say that because, of course, Kosla 
as a firm is incredibly well known, uh, incredibly well respected in the context of uh, the tech world, in the investments that they make, in the opportunities to transform industries. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. But more so, we've had deep relationships historically. I've known Samir and Vinod for uh, 15, 20 years. Uh, that I think creates for a great working relationship and a deep trusted relationship, which I think is very important. But the other piece of this is that I think anytime one wants to consider a SPAC transaction, there has to be fundamental alignment. And that is the case here, because what's in this SPAC is first, an absence of warrants. Second, a tiered promote structure such that the economics really come into play for Kosla when we're getting above $30 a share. And that is three times the merger value. So that creates a much more intrinsic alignment here and speaks to the speaks to the framework of delivering long-term value on behalf of shareholders, which is what we're all really aligned around. And of course, on top of that, they have a longer than market, um, a longer than market lockup. So again, they're indicating to their mark to the market their real commitment to the value we're all looking to create together. Perfect. Yeah, we always like to talk about, yeah, the lockup expiration. So nice uh, validation there by Kosla, you know, to, to have that longer lockup. Definitely uh, great of you to highlight that, David. So for viewers out there who aren't familiar with Valo Health, uh, the company is building a fully integrated end-to-end human-centric, artificial intelligence-driven drug discovery platform. Tell us, what, what does this mean? Uh, those are some great words there, uh, but tell us, you know, what, what is the company? What do they do for anyone not familiar with Valo out there? Sure. So let me touch on a couple pieces of this. First and foremost, when we think about how drugs get created, outside of rare exceptional cases, they, these, this is a process that takes 12 to 15 years, but more importantly, it takes 10, 15 odd steps that involve various clinical trials, a set of things that are done preclinically. And the problem with it is it's actually been created into this disintegrated framework. That is, each of these steps is done by a different set of people with a different set of data. There isn't a connection between it. The metrics of success are not aligned and they're not all aligned towards delivering a drug that ultimately that ultimately benefits a patient they're focused on how do i advance through this step and what we saw as the opportunity in around 2018 2019 was for the first time the scale of human data was just becoming available and when i say human data what i mean is clinical data, how patients have responded to drugs, what happens in the course of disease, the sort of stuff that a doctor would collect in normal course. The scale and density of that data was just emerging to the point that we could say, you know what, it's now time to build a new model of how drugs are discovered and how drugs are developed. And that's what we set out to do. And what we, the way we're looking to do this and what we've been working on is using human data at each and every step of the drug discovery and development life cycle, but doing it in a framework where we've created an integrated model, a vertically integrated model. That is, it's aligned. We use the same sort of computational tools, but again, we're bringing this to bear because ultimately we're trying to develop drugs for people. And we're trying to do it in a way where we can do it with higher confidence, we can do it at lower cost, and we can do it faster. And that's really important because ultimately 
when I went through medical school, we were told there were about 13,000 or so diseases. The number of drugs that the FDA has approved thus far is only about 1,500. And many of them are being developed for the same disease several times over. So when you think about the number of untreated maladies that are out there, it's enormous. The only way that we can start changing our interface with disease is to fundamentally change the way that drugs are developed. And the reason I get into this is because right now, mice, cells extracted from people, put on plastic, that's what you, what's used in the standard to develop drugs. And one could argue, it's no wonder that there's a 95% failure rate in clinical trials. Arguably, it's one in 4,000 through the life cycle of a drug. By using human data and using computation across, we think that there's an opportunity to fundamentally transform that probability of success by bringing forth confidence in that drug earlier on, making sure we're developing it for the patient in the first instance and doing that in a way where ultimately the benefit that we think we can deliver can ideally have a transformative benefit to those patients. Awesome. So uh, Valo has the Opal platform. And one of my favorite slides uh, from the SPAC merger presentation is slide 14, which lists four words, build, validate, scale, and democratize. So right now, currently in the build and the validate uh, phase, can you talk to us a little bit about build and validate and also how Valo will push forward into scaling and democratizing the business model going forward. Sure. So, of course, the first thing we set out to do was to build our Opal computational platform. And our Opal computational platform uses large-scale human data. In this case, we have data from over 8 million patients where we have a unique framework of this data because what we have is comprehensive data for about 15 years on this, these patients with which with what's called a zero or near zero um, missingness rate. That is, it's complete data. And it includes not just say a medical record, but it includes lab tests and images and tracings like EKGs and EEGs, measurements of the heart and the brain and things along those lines. And that's really exciting because it allows us to get deep insights into what's happening over the course of a disease in a person. Now, by using that in the context of a single platform that does things like uncovering what is the way to intervene in a, in a disease, in what patients, at what time in that disease, that helps us figure out what to develop drugs against. Then we have engineering systems that allow us to develop small molecules in particular, but other things as well, where, and ultimately the benefit of small molecules is these are the sorts of drugs you can take at home. You can take them as a pill, as opposed to say an injection in the eye or an infusion for 12 hours. Um, that makes it more likely that a patient's actually gonna be able to take their drug and benefit from their drug. But when we make these small molecules, we, we do it in a closed loop fashion. Think of it as an engineering system that brings tremendous efficiency in the speed by which we're able to develop them. And we have tools that allow us to predict what might happen with that small molecule in the clinic, i.e., can we predict is it going to be safe or toxic? Is Where is it going to go in the body? How is it going to move, move around? And then we have tools that we've been developing that allow us to figure out what are the right patients for whom it should go into? What is the right time for us to give that drug? Uh, think of these as so-called biomarkers. And with all of those tools, 
the OPAL computational platform allows us to do all of those steps of drug discovery and development. So in the first instance, we've been focused on developing the capabilities. In the second instance, we have a pipeline of 17 drugs thus far, and we're using those drugs that we've been developing to validate our capabilities. Of course, we've done all sorts of computational validations thus far and have, have reasonable confidence in what we're bringing forward. But we have, for example, a lead drug OPL301 that we expect to enter phase two clinical trials later this year. Another one, OPL401, that will enter phase two clinical trials next year, followed by another 15 preclinical molecules. And what we're doing in the context of validation is the advancement of that pipeline, which is a significant sized pipeline. Now, ultimately, the power of the computational platform that we're building, especially because it's driven by a flywheel where every time we do something, we get data, it flows back into our into our computational platform. It allows us to learn, it allows us to get smarter. The scale by which we'll ultimately be able to execute, we think becomes tremendous. And that has the potential to progressively increase probability of success, reduce cost and reduce time. And even though drug development happens to be expensive, we think there happens to be this opportunity to make a market difference. But the bigger and the biggest impacts that we can have are not just doing it within our four walls. And what we expect to do is to start to externalize the capabilities that we have in very targeted ways and do that systematically. But ultimately, as the efficiency of our capabilities within OPAL get high enough, we think it allows us to open up an opportunity to democratize drug discovery and development. If we wanna tackle 13,000 diseases and potentially more that get discovered as tools become more plentiful, then we need to be able to open up these in a way where people can actually start developing drugs to the various ideas that, that are out there and not rest on a single company to have all of the ideas. And we're very excited to be the engine that allows for that transformation because ultimately the calling that I think brings us all here is we want to transform disease. We want to transform it for the benefit of patients, for the benefit of their families, and we want to create the tools that allow people to be able to do that. Perfect. Yeah, you hit on a couple of the, the drugs in the pipeline. That was going to be my next question. So let's go right there. There is a slide in the presentation, um, you know, that breaks down some of those drugs in trial. So you're two most advanced looking towards phase two. Can you just give us, you know, an update on, you know, maybe the timeline of, of some of these trials? When can we expect to hear more about these lead candidates and how do they all fit into the timeline once Valo completes the SPAC merger? Sure. Um, so first, our most advanced on this or the first to enter the phase two trial is OPL301. Um, this is a therapeutic candidate that we're developing for what, uh, what's called left ventricular dysfunction post-myocardial infarction, which is a very fancy way to say we're trying to treat what happens after a heart attack. And I, I mention that because what's important to us is to go after diseases that matter, diseases that affect patients, diseases that, frankly, without change, kill people, rip apart families, and we want to be able to impact that kind of change and do it in a meaningful way. And it's in this spirit we're making, we're trying to make impactful drugs. Now, this drug, this drug candidate is on track to enter phase two clinical trials this year. We expect to have interim data come out um, sometime, most likely by the by the end of next year. But the but the clinical trial is um, is 
will we'll continue to be in progress along those lines thereafter. Um, OPL-401 is going after diabetic retinopathy in the first instance and diabetic complications uh, as the follow-on. Diabetic retinopathy is the loss of vision that occurs as a side effect or a complication associated with, with diabetes. But there's other such complications as well, which include neuropathy, which is where diabetics lose feeling. Uh, it's, there's a cardiopathy or cardiomyopathy where the heart starts to have problems functioning. And of course, uh, nephropathy, which is what affects the kidney. And, and these cause significant uh, morbidity challenges in diabetic patients. Now, right now in diabetic retinopathy, there's about an $8 billion market uh, that exists that's mostly met by drugs that are injected into the eye that are only really given to patients who have severe disease. And what we're doing here is we're developing a small molecule that we believe will be capable of, of being consumed orally, i.e. a pill, um, be able to get into the eye and have a significant benefit for diabetic retinopathy. And in that context, we think that opens up the opportunity to not just treat patients with severe disease, but catch them earlier, catch them when it's still mild to moderate, catch them while they're still keeping certain amounts of their vision. And we think that can be something that's very powerful, but also by not requiring an injection into the eye, patients are likely to be, or we believe are more likely to be, willing to take these kinds of therapeutics. And that one we expect to enter a phase two clinical trial uh, next year. And behind that, of course, we're going after a whole series of different uh, therapeutic candidates across cardiovascular disease, across oncology, across neurodegeneration, and really excited about the potential of what these drugs might be able to do for patients across a whole spectrum of very important diseases. To clarify on the pipeline here, so these are all wholly owned um, drugs for the company. Any chance of you know partnerships down the road to bring these to market, or is the plan to you know go 100% of Allo right now? Sure. So we are developing these right now. Um, our view is we have capabilities that are vertically integrated. We can do target discovery. We can make the drugs and we do our own clinical trials. We're not dependent on, the, on partners to do clinical trials. And in that context, we're really bringing together tech and life sciences. And we see ourselves as having that opportunity to use technology to transform the way we discover and develop drugs. But it's really important to own that value chain internally, because unless you actually do clinical trials, you may not actually appreciate the nuance of what it takes to do it well. You may not get the right data. And in this way, we think we have better control over our destiny and have a better chance of delivering a better impact for patients, but also in delivering drugs that can be more valuable over time, drugs that can help us learn better and help us to drive the flywheel at the core of the Opal computational platform. Perfect. Uh, we talk a lot here on the show about TAM, total addressable market. Um, I, I want to get into, you know, Valo's opportunity uh, going forward. Obviously, we know the biotech space is a trillion dollar plus market. Uh, can you just break down a little bit of maybe the targeted TAM for Valo, you know, over the next five to 10 years and, you know, broadly in the future? So first, uh, of course, the healthcare market and even the subset that is just drug discovery and development is an enormous market. And, and there's many, many drivers for this. Um, but a big part of this is that the drug discovery system, the model that exists, 
has set itself up, I believe, to be ripe for disruption. And, and that's really because we've seen R&D productivity decrease across the board. We've seen pricing pressures. We hear about this in Washington probably on a daily, if not weekly basis. And a lot of that stems from the model that is behind drug discovery and, and development. And I just want to flag this because when we look at the history of how drugs have been developed, right, the beginning of biotechnology was this notion where you might find one protein that's associated with one disease. And if you go and make that protein, you can make a new drug. And companies like Amgen and Genentech were delivered out of that. Now, more recently, we've seen what I like to call digital integration. And that's where engineering systems have been used in local parts of the drug discovery and development value chain. And we've already seen the benefit of that because in the context of the development of the COVID vaccine, technologies that build off this digital integration were deployed. And we've seen in a very short period of time, multiple vaccines developed from a standing start to in billions of patients in two odd years. And I think that really comes down to digital integration. What we're doing is creating a digitally native, vertically integrated capability, which is bringing this technology core with a data-driven flywheel across the way we think about drug discovery and development at large. And we're deploying it in the first instance in cardiovascular disease, oncology, and neurodegeneration, which are probably three, the three, if not three of the biggest therapeutic areas from a value perspective. And we see this as an opportunity to elicit this kind of transformation as we think about pharmaceutical discovery broadly. So our interest is not just developing a pipeline internally, and that goes back to one of the slides that you referenced, which is we're developing a pipeline in the first instance because it allows us to validate our capabilities. But we want to scale well beyond that. We want to scale where we can have impact in the way that the industry develops the drug and become the technology underpinning of the future of the industry, ultimately with a goal of democratizing it. So we're very excited about how we might be able to reach well beyond our four walls and think about something that can transform the market at large, think about how we can transform drug discovery and development at large and reach even beyond over time, the three therapeutic areas that we're focused on. Perfect. And along that same lines, you know, is this something where Valo would license out its technology um, and be able to monetize that with other companies using it down the road? So that's exactly the way we're thinking about this, which is in the first instance, we focused on our own drug discovery and development internally. But we've been developing approaches and tools such that we can externalize it through licensing and other such models and enable others. But in this way, it's important from our standpoint to maintain a closeness in the, with our customer in the way that we ultimately use our models, because ultimately our models are learning models. And the more we're working together, the deeper value we can, we can collectively create, the better impact we can have for patients. And this is where it gets interesting from my perspective, because again, each and every experiment that we do, we're taking the data, we're putting it right back into our capability set. In the way drugs are developed today, data is captured, whether it's on a clinical trial or something in a lab, and it's put in a notebook and it stays there. That ability to learn collectively does not exist. And let me just put that into a different perspective. When we do experiments, we can get data that in certain cases can be orders of magnitude larger than are captured by others who might think about a traditional approach. And so when we think about 
the way we can work with partners, embracing that learning approach delivers a real benefit to us and our partners. And it's really important to make sure we have that alignment. Along with uh, going public via SPAC, you will get some additional capital, which it looks like, you know, will continue to fund that pipeline of existing drugs that you have. Uh, my question is, you know, any opportunities for M&A down the road, whether it's acquiring, you know, drug targets or maybe getting into new verticals, or is the plan to just keep building on what Valo has built over the years? So first, we are heads down focused on building Valo to become, in the first instance, the first digitally native, vertically integrated pharmaceutical company, and in the second instance, the technology underpinning of the industry. And we're really focused on that. We're not focused on M&A. We don't believe um, in the historical biotech model that is build this to a, a certain point and then just turn it over. Because this is really a technology company that happens to be in the drug discovery and development industry. And it's with that spirit that we want to make sure that we're living up to that ethos. So from that perspective, could we get approached by a pharma company who wants to acquire one of our drugs? Sure. Could we get approached by someone over time who's interested in M&A? Sure. But our focus is we want to deliver, we want to build, we want to create a company that has this lasting and durable impact. Perfect. Uh, well, David, uh, this has been great. Great insight into the company. Uh, the questions in the chat are mostly about partnerships, and it seems like you've answered that. You know, a lot of people out there want to know, you know, will Valo partner uh, with Palantir? Will they partner with, you know, leading drug companies? What's to come? So my guess is that you're not able to, to dive into any of that today, but maybe we will hear more about, you know, some potential partnerships down the road. It, would that be correct? We'd, we'd absolutely love to talk about, uh, talk about where we're going on the partnership front down the, down the road. Uh, of course, the substrate that we build, drugs, is exactly what pharma companies want. Uh, the technology structure that we're building, the technology stack that underpins the Opal computational platform is unique. Dealing with health data, dealing with human data requires a different form of computation. And that's something that I have to imagine that technology companies broadly are very interested in because it's not just applying your standard form of compute and hoping that you can get into yet a new industry. This is something that requires a dedicated focus. And we think we've put that in and we're very excited about the, uh, the framework that we've built thus far. Awesome. Well, for everyone out there in the chat, again, joining us on SPACs Attack, David Barry, the founder and CEO of Valo Health, company merging with Coastal Ventures Acquisition, current ticker KVSA. David, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, and we look forward to hearing more about your company in the future. Well, thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Awesome. Well, there you guys have it. Another exciting company going public via SPAC. Uh, this is a, another fun one, right? They're, they're building this technology to help bring drugs to market quicker, right? Which is something that I think we all can appreciate. So again, Valo Health KVSA. Let me go ahead and bring Mitch back on here. You know, Mitch, this is an area we've talked about before, right? If we can speed up getting drugs to market. And this is a company that has their own technology, their own pipeline, and also down the road, maybe they can license it out to some larger drug companies. 
that's something to definitely watch in this space. Yeah, something we're always going to watch is for companies that come into biotech and make it easier on others, right? It's the same thing we were yes. talking about this on the other one it, it, that we did just last week. Um, and, and this is what it's all about, right? As I, I mean, at the end of the day, as retail investors, we even need companies like this because like was mentioned, if we're going to have this many problems with clinical trials, we need companies to come in here and make it easier for other companies to have more success, right? And so what does that really do? That does a benefit for us as, as traders and, and investors that are looking for these biotech companies to actually get that lift. We'll keep a watch. And uh, looks like we're trading at 9.98 sideways right now. Looks like, man, I don't know what was going on today, man, but there was 2.4 million shares traded of KVSA today. So definitely pay attention to that. A lot of volume coming in lately. We'll, we'll keep an eye on this one. This one came in the open. So my guess would be uh, probably some institutional money or some some type of money like that. Because the way that it came in right at the open, uh, it was about, was it right out the gates? Right out the gates, we got about 1.3 million shares. So interesting one to keep a watch and we'll see what's happening out there. Uh, but I do have some stocks moving out there, Chris. I know there's so much to talk about. So much, try. so many gonna, movers out there. We're going to try our best to do and go to as many stocks as we can. You guys in the chat, keep us honest. Let us keep flowing. If you guys got a stock you want to mention about infrastructure, think that it can start having some ramp up, go ahead and mention it in the chat. This is your time to control the show, and it's time for what we call ticker time. It's ticker time, ticker time. All right, so time to start going through some of these. All right, so first one up I want to mention is one that I mentioned in our live trading stream. Before the open, I mentioned why not keep an eye on PTRA, right? Of course, we've been mentioning this one and how it could potentially get a lift. was already a favorite of some kind of government plays already. Uh, Chris, what are you thinking now that we get this lift in Proterra? Yeah, I'm holding holding PTRA uh, long and strong. Big move uh, up today, right? This is the one I've been calling out. Electric buses, right? That infrastructure bill includes billions of dollars for electric buses. You look at a country like Canada, Mitch, that we've been talking about. Canada keeps landing all these electric bus deals. The U.S. is behind. I think this infrastructure bill was what was needed for a company like Proterra to really get those deals in the U.S. and also could help Lion Electric and Arrival as Sympathy plays there as well. All right, let's keep flowing. I don't want to take too long on one name. Another name I gave on live trading this morning. So you guys are getting a theme here. If you're a SPAC fan, it might be good to also show up to live trading because you guys know how I like to keep my eyes on these. And it's not that live trading is all about SPACs, but QS, man, look at that move right out the gates. I said it this morning. This is definitely one you got to keep on watch uh, with this infrastructure talk. And boom, look at this one-minute chart, Chris, all the way up there. It's about a 16% move from the open. You guys could have got alerted to that by staying with Benzinga. So hit the like button. And what are you thinking, Chris? QS, monster move. I know Carl owes me at least a dinner or something. 
but <laughs> yeah, a lot of the a lot of the battery plays bumping up on this infrastructure play. QS has had a monster move though over the last couple weeks. Um, you know, Mitch called this one out around 20. I would have liked to get in this one at 20. I don't know if I'm a huge fan now of chasing it. Um, the one that I have on my watch, Mitch, is Ivan. I-V-A-N, which is merging with SES. We got that battery news last week out of them, um, but it has fallen back down since that presentation. But trading at 1070 now, I think you have a better risk reward in a, a name like this uh, versus a quantum scape still a couple of years out. Not a bad name at all. As you guys can see, 1050s on pullbacks would be interesting for me. Let's keep going. There's so much to talk about. I just want to keep going. EV go up about 17.5%. I've been talking about this one a little bit on Money Mitch. We've been talking about it here also, how this could be great infrastructure play. One of the things that we were also noticing, it was down here by the $8. Look how this one really just came out of it. And really since, let's say, the 26th of October till now, you're talking about a 54% move in EV Go. So uh, go, 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 right, Chris? I mean, I think everyone needs a little bit of exposure to the electric vehicle charging in your portfolio, right? I have ChargePoint CHPT. <laughs> That's the one that I've been holding for a long time. I, I like that one. EV Go, a great one. You also have Volta VLTA. And you also have a ton of others. Um, so there is a lot of ways to play this. Um, but I, I like ChargePoint, uh, but a lot of charging opportunities out there. Yeah, we'll keep it on watch. Uh, looks like uh, we're getting mentioned all around here. Everyone's super excited mentioning names. Definitely. If you guys got a ticker, I'll definitely call it up. But uh, let's keep it going here. The next one up, I want to bring in uh, Volta. Volta doing well too. Also, this is one that I think a lot of people forget about, uh, but it is gapping up today. Had it high of 1169. We'll see if we can get roaring again into maybe the close. Uh, but what do you think about Volta here, Chris? Yeah, Volta, I like, uh, you know, Mitch, one of the things that kind of sets them apart is they have like the advertising along with the the charging, right? Yeah. It's not just a charging station. It's a, a charger with a screen and that screen gets them advertising revenue. So when they launch these partnerships, you know, they, they get that additional revenue. And that's a model that I think they've built out uh, that others maybe will eventually adapt to. But for now, I think Volta, uh, that's an interesting play with that diversification. Yeah, I would look for a move towards 10, get as close to 10 as possible. And that gives you a possibility of it going right back towards the 1150, which would be already a 15% gain. So that's kind of what I would be looking at there. Uh, time to keep going. Let's keep going through some of the other names here. Uh, I've been even trying to stay away from the ones that I got in, but let's just keep going. Let's keep rolling. I do see Lucid showing up for me here. Uh, Lucid, beautiful, beautiful day. Finally through that into the gap zone. I've been talking about this gap for I don't know how long, Chris. Uh, so many people were talking what was happening in, in this pullback. Was this a bad thing? I said as long as it went sideways, held 35, you'd be looking good here, um, especially if we got back up through the 40s. Strong day on Friday, another strong day today, getting on up there towards a high of 46.77. Uh, the gap zone was 43.94. So we want to actually hold that on any pullbacks now. Um, so I would be looking for this to hold on pullbacks. As you guys can see, it went towards a low of 
43.94. You see how close that is? There's a reason why. We want to see it hold that level and continue from here. That could get lucid dreamers to keep on dreaming. All right, let's keep going. There's other stocks. Uh, one that I did take today, uh, Chris, was LAZR. Uh, look at this one already up a significant day took this one right out the open and this is what i call a vwap bounce play um if you guys watch live trading you guys would have seen me get into this one this one popped right at the open instead of me getting it up here i pulled back a little bit got those six nine uh 1690s and now it's really pushing on up there towards 785 1785 we're looking for a move above 18 why because you got multiple days right here so one thing that i did call out this morning for you guys to look for is look for stocks that were actually weak uh, or looking weak into the close on thursday and friday and this stock was actually heading back down closing down here versus closing up near the top and so that actually gave me that look that if we could get back above those highs we'd be really starting to look good and i could go off this like kind of 17 dollar level and look for the next move on up towards about 18 or 20. That's what I'm looking for on Lizar. Let's keep going. There's so many to mention. I can keep going through. Another one that I took in this area, Chris, I just took it, was Alster. Um, Alster was right off the bottom. That's why I'm taking a chance on this one. So if you guys are looking for one that hasn't moved much, I took this one right now at 722s, looking to add at 7 hold to 675 looking for alistair to start getting a move on up of course this is one that could be forgotten on next thing you know it pops up for me and that's what i'm looking for an oust uh there's so many other names chris you want to keep going with some here yeah i mean there's a ton moving along with uh qs you got romeo rmo and romeo romeo mv I mean, what a day when Romeo is up 12% today, uh, 492, uh, you know, uh, it's an interesting one, right? Romeo has some deals in place. Mm -hmm. It's fallen out of favor. Um, but an infrastructure bill and news like this could uh, bring this uh, well-followed company back to life. So uh, RMO would be on my watch list today. It is already running a lot. Um, but this infrastructure bill is just so important for all these EV-related names. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Carl, I don't know who owes who, but I did take Danamir. Danamir, we talked about it over the weekend. I did also take this one, Chris. Uh, took, taking a shot on, on some names down here at the bottom. This one was a forgotten name, but at one point, this stock was at $65. Took my shot today, and this one, we'll see if it continues running. I did get 1950s, just to give you guys my actual price point, which... More than likely, a lot of people don't, right, Chris? <laughs> a lot of people don't let you know exactly where they're at. Uh, let's keep going. Next one up, Chris, anything else you want to get into? Uh, well, I would look at Microvest, MVST. It looks yes. like it held that 990 pretty, level pretty, pretty, pretty well. Right um, so I, I think this one has shown that it can hold that support. Um, so it, we're up 6% right now. I think Microvest could actually go higher again. $10 is no longer a floor. It's not a, a SPAC, but it is a psychological level and a good level um, if the company can sustain it. Yeah, I think it's running into a little bit of overhead supply, of course, right here at $10. But if we can knock above that $10, then hold it on pullbacks, 
Microvast is going to be looking great. This is one I definitely probably either take a shot now or look for it to break above that 10, come back to that 10, give me a shot to get in and give me a small risk for it to launch back up there towards 15. And I, I think you could see this one. As long as we continue this kind of trend with all, a lot of these infrastructure names and a lot of these batteries and all these t- charging types playing, moving, I think you could see a move towards 14 in Microvast. So that's an interesting one. Definitely to keep a watch out. Um, I would I would take a look at Fisker. Fisker's red now the Fisky, on the day, Mitch. So you have the, the infrastructure bill, and we're down 1%. Um, so, you know, Fisker reported their financial report last week, which, again, it's not an earnings report, really, because they don't have earnings yet. They're pre-revenue. They have the auto show this month, and now you mm-hmm. have the infrastructure bill, you also have the Rivian IPO this week, and yet shares are down 1% today. Um, I like Fisker as a sympathy play not running today. Um, so we'll see did, if it can hold that support, but uh, I, I'm liking Fisker. Did you see those posts by Henry Fisker uh, throughout the weekend on Twitter? Yeah, Henrik always likes to uh, to share updates. And the big one, Mitch, I think was that talking about building the factories in uh, different continents, right? Was that the one? Yep. Yep. Uh, and- USA, Europe, and eventually China. I like the approach there, right? And with that yeah, being you gotta said, have the infrastructure bill, yeah, in order to get those full credits, I think you're going to have to be Local American made, right? One, and that's right? what they're doing is making sure and it's kind of the approach that tesla's done right how they're growing in the chinese market they, they're building out the gigafactory there i, I like fisker That's... i i think this thing could run later this week um also ggpi with polestar with lucid up today i mean your your sympathy plays are not running as much today as they normally do with lucid and again, that Rivian IPO, it could be a huge event for electric vehicle stocks just due to valuation. You know, if Fisker's valued at $100 billion, what does that mean, you know, X company should be valued at? So you're going to see, you know, high volatility in these EV names all week because of the bill and because of that IPO. Yeah, you got to keep a watch on all these. They're going to make quick moves. One thing that's being mentioned, Mark M being, I'm killing it in, killing it with warrants. Hey, I, I'm power to you right now. If you're, if you're playing warrants, this is probably the time where you can make the most money, right? But also remember, when warrants come to volatility, and this is why I always suggest that if you're not an experienced trader, be careful with warrants. This is why you don't see me talking about warrants. Maybe you'll see someone else day trading them and, and kind of making the move on them. I don't trade them because I can't keep my eye on it. And I don't like anything that is that risky and I can't keep my eye on it. So uh, with it being said, Mark, if you're killing it, power to you. Keep killing it. I, I wish you the best. If, and, and if that's what it's all about, really, is you guys doing great out there. But I just want to also state it for everyone out there that warrants are probably the riskiest way to go about it in SPACs. And would you kind of agree with that, Chris? Yeah, definitely. I mean, warrants, high risk, high reward, but you definitely got to stay on top no, of them. And a day you, like today, it's up to you. you're going to see warrants swing. So uh, you can definitely make some money, but it's like the options. If you're not paying attention, you can miss out on some some big gains. Hey, there is some people like John and, and others in the chat, strictly warrants. Power to you guys. I mean, if you guys are able to do it, I, I, literally for me, that I, could, I feel I can trade fast, 
power to you because I can't do it as quickly as you guys can do it. All right, let's keep going. Another one mentioned in the chat, uh, one that I've had for a while is DM. Still watching it, still trying to let it keep going. Uh, we'll see what happens with this one. Have another good day, bouncing on up. Needs to continue moving into the area. I would like to see it get above 10. Really, that's where we can start selling some, some more and then look for the rest to come up there towards 12 or 14. If not, keep a very small sizing for the continuation move um is there any other one you want to get into chris i know there's so much i mean we got about eight minutes left here yeah uh, just real quick i want to highlight some earnings um before we wrap the show later in, in case we don't get to it we do have a decent amount of earnings tonight um again the big day this week is wednesday the 10th with a ton of dspac companies but tonight we have clover health clov innovex envx Rover, R-O-V-R, Ouster, which Mitch just talked about, O-U-S-T, Carlots, L-O-T-Z, Vicarious Surgical, R-B-O-T, and then uh, D-G-N-S, which is merging with Cvent. They will report earnings tonight. Um, obviously, I think Clover gets a ton of attention, Mitch, right? That's a big retail investor favorite. Um, but Rover, right? The, the dog play, the pets. This was kind of a pandemic play, right? And we're seeing some of these pandemic stocks fall out of favor. So I think the question there would be, you know, is Rover's growth still accelerating or has the post-pandemic, you know, hurt them a little bit? Um, so that could be something to watch. Also, Carlots, right? We saw Carlots take a hit last earnings report because they didn't have enough inventory. Uh, I'm using Rover today. Just a heads up. <laughs> There we I'm go. We got Rover. the real reporting for Rover. Well, you'll be included in next quarter then, Mitch. See, they didn't recognize <laughs> No, I used it last quarter too. This quarter. Okay, okay, so you'll be in both. Too. So Hey, that's yeah. just some insight so, uh, there, right? Oh, we're getting we'll a see. comment from uh, Happy. We we got to highlight that one. I hadn't seen this yet, Mitch. DWOC up 10% right now. Trump announces he will be doing a roundtable and speaking. Uh, so DWAC, uh -oh. I mean, this, oh, he picked the we, right day. He picked the happen, right day. Mitch, right. You know what? Yeah. Let's, let's have some fun. I, I mean, let's go long it. Let's do it. Let's do it live. I mean, here. I think it's going to keep ripping. You're going to see it. So I'll take a shot is, on it. This is a big got, story. I already got AMC ripping. Why not DWAC rip? <laughs> yes, it's still going. Back. I'm going to look for a slight pullback right now below 61 near the 60. So 60, 50. Maybe, but if I do I this, guys, gonna get that. It <laughs> if I do this, guys, it will be very small sizing. It will be very small sizing. Why? Because I mean, you're talking about a stock that has been going sideways for a long time, which is what I want to see hourly charts, right? And what do you see here? Look at this chart, guys. What do I like to see on the hourlies, right? Attempts to break down. This is why I, I always look for attempts to break down. Look how this one tried to break down here, tried to break down here, tried to break down right on this line. You could call that one the third one, but I'd call more down here where it just did in the pre-market trying to break down. Can't break it. 56, 53. Every time it tries to break that, it can't do it. What does it do? It tries to reverse back to the nearest re uh, resistance. So to me, I think this one could at least run up there towards 75, if not closer towards 74, 27 here. Uh, so it's interesting and it starts getting me levels to go off of. And then I start trying to adjust to how I would attack it. 
I would attack it near VWAP. I'm looking for pullbacks. I'm not trying to get in on extensions because what does that do is I would have to add on pullbacks. Looking for pullbacks here to get in. We'll see if we get it. And that's how you would attack a high flyer like DWAC. Like always, be careful on these guys. We want to make sure that you're careful. Yeah, I mean, a DWAC is definitely one you want to be careful in. It's a high flyer, uh, but we could see the fall. Uh, I mean, you're starting to see a little bit red there. Uh, thank you, though. Uh, happy for that shout out in the chat. Um, definitely uh, got our news desk working on a headline right now about that. Um, Martin asking, why no mention of OPFI? Maybe did I mess? Uh, op- they have oh earnings later this week. I thought maybe tonight. So OPFI reports on November 11th. I think that is on our earnings calendar. Um, OPFI, you know, it's another one of those fintech plays that fell out of favor, right? Went public, $10, and then we've fallen all the way down between 6 and 7 uh, We're starting to see a little ouchie, bit of ouchie. a lift up now. But these fintech plays, Mitch, I mean, same with like Money Lion and others, you know, it, it's just not what people want to be in right now. I mean, look at this infrastructure bill. Everyone wants to be in EV names right now. Everyone wants to be in reopening plays right now, as you're seeing, you know, Peloton get hammered and and some of these pandemic stocks get hit. You're seeing the reopening trade alive and well. Um, So, you know, I just think the fintech names, really, if you don't have the the crypto attached to you, you're kind of falling out of favor here. Yeah, you have a double bottom, but it's a double bottom on a larger frame bear pattern so one of the things with patterns is that you have to look at it is that so there's different time frames right longer period of time will actually see this as a bearish pattern shorter term sees it as a bullish pattern so shorter term are going to have more false entries and so to me this is one of those where it this is just it's not the timing and the story timing for this to come up. Doesn't mean that it couldn't get the good fundamentals. Doesn't mean it couldn't line up with the technicals on the short term and start moving up. It's your decision here. But for us, there's so many other trades like we just went through. Why would I be in this name? You know what I mean? It's like today, Chris, I have a big winner that I'm about to close. And it's not because I'm going to close it because I don't think it could get, make another lift. But for why hold my capital in a name that's not making me money? And that's S-E-A-H. Right now, for me, this is one of those charts that for me, why hold this right now? It's just going sideways. And yes, it could eventually rip through the resistance and get on up there towards 12. But I already took some profit in this name. And what is it doing now is just holding up my capital. I would have rather rotated that into a name like uh, L-A-D-R today. You know what I mean? Something like that. Something that can give me some more risk to return, uh, you know, more upside, at least for right now. But that's how it is, you know. So uh, we'll see what happens with a bunch of these. Um, Oust is one that I did not. And I got to say, I took it, but I didn't know we had earnings coming out. Yeah, there's earnings tonight, man. Yeah, man. As soon as you said you got into that, I was like, these LIDAR names on – Crystal P, you gave Mitch. me the good old slap right now when he gave me the, these, oh, yeah. remember, Alster's coming today with uh, earnings. <laughs> these LIDAR names with earnings, remember, sometimes they fall because there's not a ton of revenue yet, right? It's about future it, how, guidance. How could they have made money? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I yeah, 
Uh, we got Lucian in the chat saying DSAC. DSAC was one of our deals announced. So I did hit that in the headlines today. And I will have an article up about that deal later on Benzinga.com. So definitely look out for that. Um, how about Mark's question about Rover? Will Bark move with Rover? Mitch, I always uh, thought that uh, that uh, was uh, a, a, a pair trade, but really I don't think we've seen them follow each other. Um, so I don't know if Bark will get a lift on Rover um, or vice versa, but uh, Bark has their own earnings this week, I think, on uh, Wednesday. Yep, so earnings tonight for Rover and Wednesday for Bark. So uh, it could be a big week for, for dog stocks. Yeah, so I, I just think that you have to understand how that works, right? And so what type of business model do they have? Is are the business models similar or is it just pet play? To me, that's just pet play if you include those two in a relationship. But there's really not much in the business model that's very similar. You're talking one is subscription model and two more of a like pay as you go, like as you use the service, you're paying it. If Rover was more like I paid $30 a month. And I get to just let for unlimited. Yep. go whenever I want. I could just call up a sitter and be like, you know, pick him up. Then you could say they're very closely with that relationship. So to me, you have to know how tightly those actually go hand in hand. So to me, really, a more closer play with Rover would be more like maybe Chewy. Because Chewy is still online but you're paying it one by one to get those products, right? So Bark is more, I would say, like Pets Z, P-T-Z. Um, there's Pet, there's there's the Pet Z, um, and then what what's the other one? Pet Q or Pet S? That's that's what it is. Pet Med Express. So take a look at this one, guys. So this one is what I would put more with a Bark. Why? Because this is going to be more like your like subscription style, I'm getting it every month type of business in pets. So this is starting to get a lift. So just to give you guys another one to keep on watch, but we'll see how Bark kind of reacts because it, it could also get a lift. Why could Bark see a lift? I think that could be something of more of a holiday play. A lot of us like to get our dogs a little something, a little gift on, on Christmas, right? And so maybe that's what you're seeing. That's what you're attacking in Bark. But it, the relationships are always interesting. There's never an exact. One thing that you can do to look at relationships to see if it exists is look up what? Correlation, guys. So you can look up something that has data with correlation. You can put the two tickers, see how quickly they're correlated. How high that correlation is is very important in the relationship so that you can see it. Sometimes you might not see the relationship, but there is high correlation. So that's another way to look at it. If you don't want to like kind of just think about the stories, you can just look for cor high correlation. All right, Chris, that's going to do it for us. Up next, you got the power hour. I heard they're going to talk about Elon Musk selling 10% of Tesla. Could that possibly be? Yeah, Could will, he do it? will he or won't he? Will he will or he won't or he? Won't that's he. The big debate. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It, it's it, To me, it was kind of one of those moves where you're looking for an excuse and you just might have got one that makes you look good. And when you can do one of those, 
reel that bad boy in and sucker that bad boy back because I, I, I like how Elon started putting it on. Uh, oh, no, because they're talking about unrealized taxes. That's why I'm going to take my tax money off the table. You know how that well, one goes, and also right, his brother Kimball, a board a board of directors member, definitely sold some Tesla stock a couple of weeks ago. So uh, maybe Elon just following in the footsteps to to take some profit here. And same with Kathy, right? Been selling Tesla to make sure it doesn't go over that ten percent threshold in the Ark funds and realizing some profits along the way. So uh, stay tuned. Power up Hour coming next. up next to talk all about Tesla and Elon Musk. Benzinga TV, Spencer, AB, the dynamic duo. Get at them. Somebody at least do it for me. Hit me the thumbs up. We'll see you guys later. And yes, no money Mitch today. I do see AMC rocketing. I will close my eyes and just let it go. We'll see what happens.